Hey, Michael here with a quick interruption. Turns out just a few short hours after we recorded this episode, we got some exciting news. Yeah, we received our second nomination for Best Podcast at the Ennies. What? That's pretty crazy. I know one time was like crazy enough, but now twice? I guess no one's really paying attention. Maybe they just used last year's ballots again. Yeah, there were some repeats, so that's that is entirely possible. Yeah, there's those one guys that keep repeating every time. They're <laughs> flipping up somewhere. Exactly. But I won't complain. This is it is super exciting to us. It's uh it's very validating to all the time, effort, and energy that we put into the show. And it's super cool. If you're not familiar with the Innies, uh that's E N N I E. Uh it's uh, put on by the people over at EN World, which is a very popular website that regards RPG stuff. Uh, and they give the awards away at Gen Con every year. Yeah, so this is the second time we will be attending the awards ceremonies as potential winners. And by we, I mean Michael. So that will be a very fun time. I believe that is Friday night at Gen Con, right? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, the way they, the, we, the Indies work in a three-step process. Uh, step one is self-nomination, which we nominated ourselves. Step two, which is the exciting part, is that a panel of judges go through all the nominations and they choose five finalists that uh, are up for the award, which was what happened with us. We were then chosen as one of the possible best five podcasts uh, of the year. And now it goes over to fan voting. It's truly a popularity contest at this point. Whoever gets the most votes wins. Uh, and so we are asking you, our loyal Academaniacs, to please go vote for us. The voting opens on July 11th, which I believe is next Tuesday, which I think this is coming out on Tuesday, so that works. Uh, and it runs for about 10 days. Uh, you just go. There's a whole list. There's a whole bunch of other cool stuff, too. Don't don't just vote for podcast, but go look at everything and throw your vote for anything that you think deserves uh, some recognition. And we would be honored if our podcast was among your list. Yep, absolutely. Uh, doing this show for you guys is always wonderful and will continue to be so, but seeing those votes means a whole heck of a lot for us. So follow the link in the show notes, swing over, throw us a vote, and we will be eternally grateful. And with that, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and I have brought along with me today, as I often do, my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing this fine 4th of July morning? I'm doing quite well. How are you today? I'm not too bad, actually. Uh, just got back from a long vacation, had to work yesterday, but it was kind of a shorter day, so... All in all, not too bad. Could always use more sleep. I'm just, I'm getting used to the point of not having that. So, you know. Yeah, pretty typical. I'm usually up around five, no matter if I'm off work or going to work. So I can't really help it anymore. Yeah, th there's, there's parts of that that I hate because I've been through that as well. But it also, it helps to get stuff done. Like when you do have a day off, even though it sucks to get up that early, by like noon, you can have your whole day's agenda taken care of. Definitely. Yeah. Which, Speaking you know, of which, we've got an hour to go. Let's knock it out. <laughs> okay. So before we get started, we always like to take a second to talk about why we are here. For these faculty meeting episodes, Caleb and I like to talk about RPGs and our lives and how they integrate, hoping that somewhere in those conversations, something will come out that you can use at your table. 
But we understand that the advice we give and the opinions we share may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal. And Caleb, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, the system or edition, what rules you are using, not using, or misusing, as long as your table's having fun, you're doing it right. Uh, Now, with that out of the way, do we have any announcements this morning? I think we do have a couple things on the agenda. I don't know where exactly we want to start, but we might want to take a dip in the ocean. I think I know where you're going with that, but I did just get back from Florida, so maybe not... (laughs) But but I'm going to assume that you're talking about what we talked about before we started recording. And we wanted to say uh, a farewell to one of the RPG Academy Network shows. Uh, and just as a show, if you are not familiar with Sharkbone Podcast, um, Devin and Christopher have been a part of the, the podcast uh, world. Devin for like seven years. And they've been part of our network for a couple now. And uh, Devin has decided to hang up the uh, the podcaster headphones and mic and go about and doing some other things and just basically retiring from the hobby as a podcaster. And I'm I'm sad to see him go. I, and I include obviously Christopher in that as well. You know, I've, I've mentioned on the show several times, so I know I'm repeating this for some people. But but Fear the Boot was one of the absolute guiding lights when we started to do our podcast it was what evan listened to most and it was sort of like the gold standard it inspired us to do a podcast sharkbone in the original iteration was one of my first podcasts that i just loved i listened to that that show every week i thought devin and company did an amazing job i i even i think i told them once like i had emailed into the show or whatever that i wanted to do the show they do but they do it so well, there was no reason for me to, there there was no need for me to do it because they already did it it so well. Uh, And for the first 200 episodes of Sharkbone, they would take uh, media, generally movies, they would watch the movie and then they would go through that movie and break down RPG elements and like story ideas or beats or plot ideas. And it was, it combined my two favorite things, movies, which is, I'm a big movie guy and RPGs and I, I loved it. I thought it was great. So when that show went away, I was sad. I was like, this is the first podcast love that I had that went away. And I was like, oh. So when I found out that Devin was coming back, I was super excited. So we made a point of, of saying hi and getting connected. And we invited them very quickly to come into the network because I knew that Devin knew what he was doing as a podcaster. And I think the second version of Sharkbone... It took a while to find its footing. Like, I think they tried a couple different things, and they sometimes did a season format. And I think what's sad to me is that they, I feel like they finally figured out what they wanted to do when they started doing the Shadow of the Demon Lord-specific episodes. They were amazing. And I think they were feeling a need that is in the community. I don't think there's a lot of uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord podcasts. So right as they were finally getting just, like, they nailed down what they wanted to do, Devin decides to hang it up. And I can't blame him. I'm not upset. I mean, I get it. There's been plenty of times I've come really close to hanging up myself, but I'm sad to see them go. So, uh, Devin, if you're listening to this, Christopher, if you're listening to this, sorry to see you guys go, but best of luck in your future endeavors. And you will always be a part of the network if you want to come in and join us for trials or faculty meetings or whatever. Open invite. Please, please do not be strangers. So, Caleb, do you have anything you'd like to say to Christopher or Devin? I think the only appropriate send-off is the 21 fudge dice salute.
Well done, gentlemen. You shall be missed. Absolutely. So another announcement. And uh, normally I would put this at the end, but I just want to cover it briefly. I want everybody to listen. Uh, so we'll cover it quickly at the top. We are once again looking at revising our Patreon. Uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of changes. It's actually going to be very, very minor as far as the tiers, as far as like what different levels get you or, or that kind of thing. Really, the only change there is that we are doing away with the $10 Slacker backer because we are going to make the Slack channel invite open to every patron. So if you're a patron at any level, you get an invite to the Slack channel. If you're not familiar with Slack, it's, I guess most of the kids these days are using Discord, but it's basically the same thing. It's like a private social chat channel where anybody who signs up or gets invited by us can participate. There's different channels. So like right now, there's one for suggesting topics for podcasts. There's one for looking for games. If you want to try to get a game going campaign or one shot with other patrons, uh, there's general channels where you can just talk about movies or TVs or just whatever. And basically, you kind of interact with other people who listen to our show to the point that they would give us money. The biggest change is with the goals. And these are things that basically are global and they affect everybody in some way or another. Uh, so we are adding in a goal where if we get to that level, we are going to finally do what people have been asking for a long time. And we're going to break down every show into its own feed. So there will basically be multiple podcasts where you could go and just listen to show and tell, or you can just listen to faculty meeting, or you can just listen to uh, field trips. So all the different show types will get their own feed. They'll all be separate on your podcaster catcher of choice. Uh, it's a lot of work, and the, my, there's a high chance we will screw it up on occasion, which is why I've been uh, hesitant to do it. But if we get to that level, we're going to. We're just going to suck it up and do it. Uh, there's going to be a level where we're going to revisit a new world, which has been one of our most asked about campaign series. People are really interested in that world and where it was going and what was going on behind the scenes. Uh, we cannot bring Evan, Nico, and Rob back. That's not going to happen, sadly. So it won't be an actual play with those people, but there will be a version of a new world that people will be able to explore, and we're going to do some things. And I'm, I mean, a little bit vague because it's kind of a cool idea, and I want to hide it a little bit, but uh, we're going to explore that world in a little bit if we get to that level. Uh, there's a level where we're going to bring back Dead Center, which is another one of our very popular campaigns. Uh, it won't be an actual play like every week sort of thing, but we will get those people back together, play a few sessions and record it. But the big one is uh, I had a real conversation with the wife the other night. We we sat down, we talked about it, we, went, we looked over our finances, and essentially I have permission that if we can get our Patreon to $2,000 a month, which is a ridiculous amount, granted, but if we can get there... I can go full-time with the RPG Academy. I can quit my day job and be a full-time podcaster and event coordinator and try to get a Catacon and the Academy going, which means I'll have a lot more free time to do things like more YouTube videos, more streaming, more editing of the shows, more podcasts in general, You know, maybe even secondary podcasts that are related to RPGs but aren't exactly what we're doing now. You know, more time to actually write out all these novels or <laughs> write out all these adventures and, and things that Caleb and I have been working off and on on for a very long time and actually get those out in some way into the world. So it's a pie in the sky pipe dream, but it's there. If we can get to that level, we would be able to do it. And again, I'll just throw out this one last time. If everyone who listens to our show now was able to donate just $1 a month, we'd be there because we have over 2000 regular listeners to the show. So we have the audience now. We just need everybody to to pitch in $1. If you don't want to, 
fine. Like no, no harm, no foul, no hard feelings. I totally get it. Every podcast in the world has one of these now. And, you know, there's shows that, you know, it's like, who do you contribute to? Who do you don't? Totally get that. No pressure. But if it's something that you'd be considering, think about doing or you'd like to be a part of, uh, head over to patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And of course, there are links in the show notes. Caleb, anything about our Patreon you'd like to mention? I think it should be worthwhile for Val's sake to note that hitting that $2,000 goal needs to be consistent. It's not, oh, absolutely, one, yeah. it's not one and done, guys. We got to hit two grand and stay at two grand. So don't be generous one month and give Michael hopes and dreams and then have it all come crashing down. Dollar a month, 12 bucks a year, you can do that. Yeah, and, and totally fair. You're right. We That was part of the conversation. We have to be there for a year before I would quit the job because obviously that's a huge thing. I mean, I'm losing insurance. I'm losing retirement. I'm losing my 401k match. Like, uh, And I make more than what? $2,000 a month would be through the Patreon, not including the fact the taxes and the fees and blah, blah, blah. So it would still be a huge pay cut to leave, but we, we could make it work. But yes, absolutely. We would have to have some sort of idea that it was going to be maintained and not just one month, quit my job, and then the next month it's down to four bucks and, and I'm crying. And So absolutely. Uh, with that out of the way, uh, how do people get a hold of us, Caleb? If they want to ask us questions, send us in comments, uh, where can they find us on the interwebs? Usually the best response is smoke signals because social media is a tragedy. Uh, smoke signals, we prefer cedar. Uh, we'll accept birch or walnut, but cedar will get to us directly. Or you can just go to Twitter at RPG Academy. But that's really boring. It is boring, but it's also um, more likely to get a response. Uh, it's, really, it's really windy in Ohio right now, so you know the smoke signals may get dispersed. So, sure, Twitter, the RPG Academy or any other random social media you care to be on, just search for the RPG Academy and you'll find Michael. Pretty much. Uh, if you want to find Caleb, it's at the Caleb G. Uh, if you'd like to email us, you can email us michael at the rpgacademy.com, but don't do that because that email is very hard to reply back to. So just go to the rpgacademy at gmail.com and I will be much more likely to get back to you. And lastly, I just want to say Ari, and I hope I'm saying that right, Ari sent in a couple emails about a campaign they're running, asked for some advice, and the first email I was great about, second one kind of got lost in vacation. I'm so sorry that I did not get back to you before your game, and I hope that I didn't give you advice that got you into a point that you didn't know how to fix because I didn't reply the second time. But it sounds like the campaign is going very well, very excited to continue to hear about how it's going. So please email me again, let me know what's going on, and I will do my best to, to help you along, though it doesn't really seem like you need it. Okay, with all of that out of the way, Caleb, what are we here to talk about today? We are here to have a recap of the Origins Game Fair. That is correct, sir. Um, most people who listen know that I was able to go to Origins this year. Had a lot of fun. Uh, had a lot of a Catacon-related activities. Got several people that I think might be coming as guests. Uh, I also have a couple of vendors that are interested in coming. I got some cool swag that we can give away as prizes and other stuff. Uh, I also got to hang out with you for a little bit, which is always a good time. But there's a lot going on. So traditionally, the way we do these episodes is that you ask me questions and then I answer whatever I want to. Uh, so what's not best with the uh, history? So, Caleb, what are your questions about my experience at Origins? Well, I believe, if I remember correctly, this year at Origins was the first time you ran a panel. Sort of. 
Uh, it was my first year running a panel at Origins. I We did run one at Gen Con last year, but it didn't go great. Uh, Which is why I chose to ignore that and go with <laughs> this as being the inaugural panel. I'm trying to give you some success to build upon. You're correct, sir. This was the first time ever that I ran a panel at Origins. And it went perfectly, and it was great. So why don't we talk about that a little bit? It did go very, very well. Uh, I was super excited about that. Um, so so, so if I had you know, thought about doing a, a panel before, let's say at Gen Con, I know that's crazy, and it didn't go as well as we had hoped. I know, again, no, that's crazy. The advice that someone might have given me was that our description was bad and that there wasn't any draw to the panel other than who we were, which probably wasn't enough to get people there. Allegedly, that's what I'm looking at, allegedly. So this year, I tried to do a better job writing a description, and basically I called it basic DMing for D&D, and absolutely, this is a this is a play on basic D&D. And it was all about people who wanted to be DMs, for the, maybe for the first time, who never played before, or who never DMed before. It was introductory, how do you get started advice. To my chagrin, we did much better as far as getting people in, in there. I think we had we had over 30 of the tickets sold. And by sold, I'm, I'm using air quotes because it was a free event. You didn't have to pay anything. I don't think so. Uh, I didn't ask for any money, and I didn't get any money, that's for sure. But uh, we had over 30 people sign up, and we actually had more people come in than we expected. So there must have been other people that either got tickets late or just showed up. And um, I was able to invite a, a couple podcasters because I originally was hoping you would be able to join me. Uh, you live fairly close to the Columbus area, but with um, work schedules, you weren't able to make it. So Cinda from She's a Super Geek, part of the RPG Academy Network, and then Chris from MPC Cast, one of my favorite podcasts. They joined me and, and we all three presented at the basic DMing for D&D panel. And it was really cool. We had a lot of people there, a lot of good questions. It was just good, good energy in the group. A lot of people seemed really engaged with what we were talking about. A lot of nodding heads, a lot of people going, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't think about that. So I feel like we did a really good job of getting people started on a path of being DMs, which is awesome. So what did you guys talk about? Did you have a curriculum that you went over? Was it all question and answer? How did it play out? So we did have an outline. Uh, when I originally wrote it, it was like four pages. And, and I, you know, anyone who listens to the show knows I like to talk. So I, I knew there was no way this was going to get done in an hour. And, and I wanted to leave like 15 minutes for a question and answer. So I, I knew there was no way it was going to be done in 45 minutes. So I shared, I did a Google Doc. I shared it with Chris. I shared it with Cinda. We went through and we kind of try to narrow it down and, and sort of pull out the really, really important key elements and get it down to an under an hour. And I think we clocked in like right around 54 minutes. We had like five minutes of Q&A at the end. But then we had a few people that stayed over. I think we were there for like an extra 15 minutes with a couple people asking questions. Uh, but But we tried to hit the basics of very simple, because again, it was intro. It's basic stuff. It's like, here's how you do a skill check. Here's how you set the scene. Do you run an adventure the first time with something you write yourself, or do you take something off a module that you've, you know, you've purchased? And just try to get people some very simple, common sense, confidence-building advice. And I think in that regard, we absolutely succeeded. That's really great. I think once you have gotten into running games for a long time, it is easy to forget what it was like to start out. 
and trying to give people advice is always a little bit more of a challenge because you are using terminology and shortcuts and understanding that you have developed over the years. So reverting back to a true first-time 101 class advice style conversation is definitely tough, but it sounds like you guys knocked it out pretty easily, and it sounds like you had a lot of people that were very interested. So I will count that as a great success for the Academy, living up to its name, and is it fair to say that we will have more panels as time goes on? Absolutely. Uh, we had already submitted a basic version and an advanced version to Gen Con. And I, I know I mentioned this on social media, but both of those actually sold out like immediately. Like by the time I got to the point where I could look at my schedule, that stuff was already gone. And we had more seats available than we had even at Origin. So both of those are completely sold out. Because of what happened in Origins, we've rewritten the basic one just a, just a hair. It was interesting you know, getting the, the vibe of the room, I kind of, like, in my mind, I thought this would be for people who maybe have ran once or twice, but weren't confident, or maybe people who have played for a while and now are thinking about being DMs. But it seemed like there's a large number of people there who had never played at all, like had never played D&D &D at all. So they, they, they literally had zero knowledge to go off of. So even though we were doing basic we kind of felt like we were me, Chris and Cinda were talking after we like we I don't want to use the word dumbing down, but we wanted to take a step backwards and do some truly introductory overview. This is what a DM does, not even how they do it, but just what that what that role is at the table. So we've rewritten the basic one a little bit, just like the first opening, like five or ten minutes are going to be a little bit more. This is what a DM does at the table, and then we'll get into some of the tips and tricks about how to do it better and easier, that type of thing. Uh, but I'm super excited about Gen Con uh, this year, or that Gen Con, it's going to be myself, Chris Berlue from Redemption, and then Taylor Labresh from Riverhouse Games. We're going to be the three panelists for Basic and Advanced, and we're also going to do the panel on introduction to RPG podcasting with the same three of us as well. Cool. So I think that can wrap up the work part of Origins for you, but you also got to play a bunch of games. You had some fun, too. I, I did. So um, why don't we talk about those? Or maybe not, <laughs> Well, depending I'll, I'll, on your I... facial cues, which <laughs> no one else can see because this is an audio podcast. <laughs> no, I, I just want to say that the, the work portion didn't end there because I did spend a lot of time in the vendor hall telling people about a catacon and asking for free stuff. And I was middling successful. Uh, I have a couple vendors who have contacted me since who are interested, uh, who might be coming and joining us. I did get some free stuff that was donated for like prizes. Uh, one of the biggest was Cool Stuff Inc., which uh, is a fairly large website. They basically are like uh, merchandise resellers. And they were giving away bags, like, you know, carry bags when you go into the vendor hall for you to carry all their other stuff. Uh, that you buy from other places. So that basically it's like advertising. Everybody was carrying this blue cool stuff ink bag. And I was walking around and this, this young lady came up. She had like a whole handful of them. She's like, Hey, would you like a bag? And I'm like, no. And then I, I literally was like a TV thing where I took like two steps and I sort of stopped. And there was like the light bulb disappeared over my head. And I turned around and said, could I have 500 of them? And she kind of looked at me like I was crazy. I was like, I actually run a small convention in Ohio and we need, swag bags so could i have like 500 of these and she 
said, maybe. And she said, come here. And I walked over and she, I guess, met with the guy who was like the, the booth manager. And I really should have gotten his name and I didn't. And I'm sorry. And he's like, you need 500? I'm like, yeah, I run a convention in Catacomb. He's like, hey, great. Yeah, come back on Sunday. I'll give them to you. So, so we ended up with 800 Cool stuff, uh, ink bags that we donated because they probably didn't want to carry them because those boxes were heavy. Uh, so everyone who comes to a catacon is going to get a sweet blue cool stuff ink bag and probably two because we have 800 of them and we didn't need 800, but that's just the way it worked out. And in case anyone is confused, it's a tote bag. It's a canvas tote bag. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, again, I think it was like a swag bag. If you buy something at a catacon, you can use it to carry your stuff around or your, your, books and that kind of thing yeah absolutely and i will attest to the fact that how heavy those boxes were so yeah caleb showed up just in time to help me carry them i'm never doing that again (laughs) so yeah so we got some free stuff for prizes we got those tote bags we got a few vendors who are interested so beyond that though i can talk about the cool game because i ran a couple events and then i played in several events cool so do you want to talk about what you played first or what you ran uh, let's do RAN first, because that's that's less. There's not as much as that. And then once that's out of the way, we can talk about the other stuff. All right. Uh, I know that you ran some Scooby-Doo Dread. Yeah, that was probably my favorite event. And I hate to say that because I ran it, but I did. I have so much fun running Dread. Anyone who's watched me Dread, they, they know that I get a visceral experience from it. I had a fantastic group of players. Really could not have asked for better in, across the board. They all had such a good time, and uh, again, I'm, I'm trying to avoid spoilers because I still haven't gotten around to written to writing that module out for people to read. But it was an amazing time; had so much fun. Everybody loved it. It did make me realize, though, I don't think it needs to be a dread game. It should just be a LARP. Like the the dread tower is so secondary to what is going on in that game, other than it puts a clock on everything. That it kind of helps because every time I've ran it, it usually falls right around the two to three hour mark, which is a good amount of time for that game but i think it would be better if i just made it a larp and just had people show up gave them the same handout and said go and then just had like you know i hovered as a narrator as 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 necessary but i don't know i've never actually ran a larp and i'm afraid that would screw that up and it works it works as dread but i don't know that it needs to be dread what do you think you played in that game i am cautious to agree with you because we all know how i feel about larping and I think that Dread Tower adds the needed element to bring the game into kind of a cohesive focus. While, yes, it is great to roleplay out these characters and have fun with them, I think the Dread mechanics make that game what it is. So my vote is to keep it as Dread, because otherwise you also need to come up with some form of LARP mechanics because no matter how nebulous it is to define a LARP, there always has to be some sort of cohesive structure to the game. And this would just make it even longer to get this written up and out to people because then you'd have to look up <laughs> LARP rules and playtest the LARP. And you've already playtested this as dread. So stop working harder, work smarter <laughs> and keep it as dread. Well, that's why I start now. But yeah, I mean, again, it's every time I played on Dread, it's worked. The one time that it didn't work well uh, is when I had someone who was just tragically bad at Dread and it kind of messed everything. And that actually wasn't Scooby-Doo. That was the other Dread game now that I think about it. But every time I've ran Dread, I've had fun except for that one time because it was, it was terrible. So anyway, so that was a lot of fun. And then the other thing I ran uh, is one of those secret projects that you and I have been working on for a while. Uh, it's... Uh, 
it's designed to be a my first adventure. So it's it's basically if you've never ran a game before, it's a module that you can run and it comes with all the information you need to run the game, not just normal module stuff, but like it comes with like an introduction to DMing section. It comes with um a step by it's like DMing by the numbers type of thing where it says like this is the first scenario, this is the first encounter, and there's all these like additional information about the first time you set up in a scene. This is the first time you set up an encounter. If you do a skill check, how do you do how do you handle a skill check? How do you call for it? What happens if everyone passes? What happens if everyone fails? So there's just a lot of this sort of divergent tangential information that I'm trying to put into this module so that it could literally be the I've never ran D D before. Here's everything you need to run your first adventure. And I play tested. This is the second time I play tested the adventure that will go with it, and it's called the Dragon Spine. Uh, it's a three-hour adventure because it's designed to be pretty short for four players, and it was also a lot of fun. I had a father and daughter. Uh, the daughter, I think, was in high school. Might have been older, but she looked to me like she was in high school. And the father, we were talking. He said basically, her friends want her to run a game for them. And she's never ran before, so they came to this specifically to get an idea of how to start running. And then we had two guys who were friends who have played other RPGs but never played D&D before. And they did great. We got through the module. They saved the person that needs to be saved. They found the things that needed to be found. It, it sets up what would then be a part two. But it went really, really well. So it's, it's just like the, the other module that you and I have been working on, the, the Story of Worlds. It's good. I just need to find a way to write it as a module, because I, I have no skill at that. I don't have any experience. And when I try to write it, it's just like this long, prosy, 47 pages on how to explain one thing. It's just not a good format. But hey, if we get to $2,000 a month, I'll have more time to work on that. But it was a lot of fun, and I'm excited about trying to get that moving on to the next steps. Cool. Did you run anything else? Uh, no, those were the only two things that I ran... Officially, I'm trying to think if I ran anything else, and I don't think I did. I think that was it. All right. So let's switch over to what you got to play. What did you jump into game-wise? So there's a – I actually got to play in quite a lot of stuff. There's a couple things in particular that I wanted to call out uh, because I think there's actually some good advice buried in these as well. So I played in two different games that were great examples of yes-anding where one was a good example and one was a good example of a bad example. So the good example, we played in a game with the guys from Zodiac Empires. Anyone who's been around for a while might remember we did a show and tell with them a couple years back now. They uh, they launched their own campaign setting called Zodiac Empires. And um, it was a 5e adventure. And I normally don't do 5e adventures or, 5e or D&D at all at, at camp conventions anymore. But I just I had a hole in my schedule and the description sounded interesting. So I checked it out. And, and I apologize, I think it's Joe is the name of the DM, and I apologize if I'm getting that wrong, was a great example of yes ending because we came up with a nonviolent solution to the final, what should have been the final battle. Like, it, you know, the game was a lot of fun. We all, It was really interesting. I don't want to give away too much in case other people won't play it. But the ending, it's set up to be a battle. You know, we're supposed to fight the, the bad guy. And we we're able to come up with a non, not again, a nonviolent solution. We kind of negotiated. We came up with an agreement that both sides would be okay with. And, and in my head, I kept thinking, please don't make us fight. Cause it just didn't make sense. Like we, we had done a good job 
and role played well, and it just it the narrative fit and the idea that we would be forced to fight here. It would just have been to have a fight. That's that's the only reason we would have had a fight there. And I kept thinking, we're going to have to fight these people. We're going to have to fight these people. And to the DM's credit, again, I think it's Joe. I apologize if it's not. It was like, okay, no, it it, it works. And, and we we rolled out, role played out the last thing. We got done like almost like an hour early. But I was so happy to be done an hour early in regards that I would just I was I would have been so upset if we had been made to fight there because it didn't make any sense whatsoever. So and I think I tweeted out several times, so if people listen to the Twitter feed or follow the Twitter feed, they already know this, but I was so excited that we were able to resolve it the way that we wanted to, and we were not forced to fight, even though it was a convention game. And even though we got done early, it was a great example of going, no, this makes sense. Let's just, yes, and, yes, you want to do a nonviolent solution, and you came up with a good way to make it work. All right. You know, good job. High five, everybody. Let's go get some uh, get some food or something. Wonderful. So that was a great example. Let's move on to, as you phrase it, a great example of a bad example. Yes. Uh, and again, I, you know, it's, it's not my intention or desire to put anybody on blast. That's not what this is about. But we played in a game where it was very clear that the DM was not prepared or able in any way to improvise or to go off script. And I will give them a little credit that as the game went on, they did loosen up a little bit. So it might have been that they were just afraid that if we got too far off book early, they wouldn't be able to get us on book for the end. But it was it was excruciatingly painful that no matter what we tried to do, everything was no unless we were doing what we were supposed to be doing. So so the setup, it was a superheroes game, and we were the Avengers. Uh, I was Scarlet Witch. We had Captain America. We had Wasp. We had Black Panther, Iron Man. You know, your, your classic, uh, like, 80s Avengers team. And the first thing that happened, we're all at the mansion. And woo, 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 trouble alert comes in. And AIM is attacking some mansion in New York City. So the DM's like, okay, how do you want to get there? And we're all like, okay, I'm going to take the hover jet. Or I'm taking the Avenger car or whatever it is. Okay. So we fly to the mansion. And he sets up all these AIM bad guys sort of surrounding the front half of the mansion. And he's like, what do you guys want to do? And the the person playing Black Widow is like, okay, well, I want to sneak in the back. Well, apparently there was a giant wall of a vibranium that was the back wall. There were no windows. So you, you could not sneak in the back. Okay, well, I want to sneak in the sides. Can't sneak in the sides. Vibranium. I want to go through the roof. Can't go through the roof vibranium so it's very clear we are not able to get into this house other but other than by the front doors so we all came up with our our plans individually and the dm literally said you guys have to fight aim you can't go in the mansion until all the aim people are defeated it just it didn't feel good like you know and it would have been i guess it would have been different if we had started there maybe they expected the dm expected that we would but several of us were trying to bypass AIM and just get into the mansion because that's where we thought the story was. And no matter what we tried to do, it was just no. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. It was always some weird, arbitrary reason why we couldn't do that. And then near the end of the battle, when we finally all agreed, okay, okay, let's fight AIM, we started taking out AIM. So the Scarlet or the Black Widow character said, well, basically, I want to sneak in the front door while everyone else is fighting. So he's like, okay. And then that player just didn't do anything for like four rounds 
until we had finished beating AIM, and then we all got to go into the house together. So by saying yes to that character, all they did was basically have that, that player not do anything for four rounds because they weren't willing or able to jump into the mansion and do two things at once. It just, it was, it was a, it was a bad experience in that regard. I had fun with the adventure. I had fun with the other players, but I think that DM just didn't have any sort of concept of how I can yes. And the scenario and let the players do what they want and still make it challenging and fun. If if we deviated from the story in really any way, it was just, no, you can't do that. It involved time travel, which I'm a fan of. Always, always good time, time travel. So I don't know. Just the whole time I kept thinking, why can you, why can we not do something that other than what's scripted here? So from an analytical standpoint, do you feel that this was a lack of experience? Do you feel that this was because the GM was sticking to a pre-written game or a module? Or do you think it was because the GM simply didn't want to? Yeah, it's hard for me to, you know, because I don't know the person well enough. But I don't think... I don't think for a second that their idea was, I don't want these people to have fun. So I think it came from a place of honesty and, you know, and and good intention. I don't think they were prepared for us to do what wasn't on their adventure module. And they were afraid to go off of book because a, they did, they just didn't know what to do. They, they, they didn't have any backup plans for, because it would have been easy. Okay, you, you break into the mansion. Well, there's extra aim guards in there. So now, rather than fighting the two, because we basically worked out is everybody had two aim guards that we were kind of the way it divided up. There was two for each of us. Well, okay, there's just two more inside the mansion. You know, and the mansion, he had a very simple map for it. Well, just make, you know, add a room and go, okay, now you got to go through this room and there's a trap. You know, give the person who's trying to break in the mansion something to do that's just the same thing you were going to have them do outside. You're fighting two people. Okay, you're just you're fighting them inside the room now. So I think it was, I don't say lack of experience, because I have the feeling the guy has ran games before. I just don't think they've ever ran an, an adventure where it didn't go the way they had planned. Obviously, because they just, they make it go that way, even if it's not supposed to or doesn't seem like it should. Could we maybe say that this was simply this GM's preferred type of game where the GM simply lays out a story structure. Go here, do this, experience the story. Maybe. Uh, again, because I'm, I'm, my, my goal here isn't just to put something on blast, it's to try to figure out why it happened that way. And I I just think this is a person who, they, they wrote the adventure, you know, and, and maybe in their head, it's like this is a comic book. And of course, in a comic book, that's what happens. You know, the AIM troopers are outside, so the team all works together, Avenger style, and you take out all of the bad guys. And then you go, you know, so maybe in their head, that's the way the game was supposed to happen because they were trying to emulate a comic book. And just like we've said before, a role-playing game isn't a novel. It isn't a story because characters have free will. And I think that this person just wasn't able to combine those two ideologies of we're trying to recreate a comic book, but players have free will. How do we allow them to find their own fun rather than forcing them into our fun? 
So again, I don't think the the Black Widow character wasn't trying to bypass the adventure. They weren't trying to mess up the game. They were just trying to do what they thought Black Widow would do, which I agree with. They, Black Widow would probably try to sneak into the mansion while the rest of us were fighting. The the DM just wasn't ready, prepared to move fun into the mansion. I just I don't maybe they're just not good about going back and forth because that that definitely became clear that when Black Widow finally was allowed to separate herself, she just ceased to exist until the rest of us caught up to her. I do think that the comic book format could have been a restrictor here because we know how comic books work and comic books tend to be hey look here's all the action and then here's what's happening behind the action so that format could have caused part of this struggle i think that if we want to talk about solutions a quick solution would have been a little mini session zero an introduction to the game saying hey guys i'm the gm This is a very combat-focused adventure. You guys are going to get in there, deal with the bad guys, and then experience the rest of the story. Is that okay? Are you on board with that? Great. Just setting you guys up in that 30 seconds of, oh, okay, we need to follow these rails. And I don't use rails here in a negative connotation, because this is clearly kind of a, a raily story. Comic books can be like that. Comic books are very... Here's part A, here's part B, here's part C. Now, in your guys' defense, you were trying to have fun in your own way. You were trying to play true to the character. The Black Widow spy should have played like a spy, sneaking around, not being on the front lines, standing toe-to-toe with super-powered, armored aliens fighting other aliens, as opposed to what happened in a certain movie that we won't talk about. (laughs) It makes sense to play the character that way. But that's not what the GM planned for. I get it. In my old days of running games, I was very much like that. I figured out how an adventure was supposed to run in my mind, and I expected my players to follow my prompts and do that. And I learned very quickly that that was not the ideal way because players want to do what they want to do. So I had to learn how to find that balance. Yeah, I completely agree. I I'm I know I was guilty of this for a very long time as well. I think it's just it's somewhat it's almost like jumping in cold water. It's just sort of like a shock to be like, "Oh, that's how this game is going now. I'm just not used to that." Uh as another example just to kind of maybe illustrate what I'm trying to talk about, uh, I was playing Scarlet Witch and in the this version basically I have hex powers that makes highly improbable things happen. That that's basically my magic is what shouldn't happen happens. And you know, we had a map. It's actually he used the old Marvel superhero face rip game as the basis for this. Even though we, the rule set was Savage Worlds, which is cool, I thought that was a fun, fun way to make things happen. So we used the maps that were from that old box set, which I used to have, and I remember them somewhat. And he laid out it was like a city block map, and we had our tokens out there. And because it's a city block, there's actual things. There's like fire hydrants, and so what my character did, I was against Harley Witch. I, I hid behind a tree. And then, so it was tree on one side, bad guys in the middle, fire hydrant on the opposite side. I used my hex powers to cause the fire hydrant cap to come off and fly and hit them in the face. You know, typical stuff like you'd see in a comic book or cartoon. And my goal was to do this because the attack was coming from the opposite side of me that I would be able to remain hidden. And the DM's like, no, you you have to reveal yourself to do your, your powers. And 
I don't, maybe that's the way that the rules work, but it didn't make sense to me. It's like, you know, it just seemed like it was an arbitrary way to make sure that they knew I was there. Like he didn't want them to not know I was there because then I wouldn't really wouldn't be fighting with them. I was doing other things, if that makes sense. So it just was another thing. It's like, no, you can't do the thing you want. You're going to go, you're going to get face to face with them. and We're going to fight until one of you passes out. Well, I think that on top of all of the stuff we've discussed here so far, we should also consider that a lot of times GMs get into their habits based on their players. And it's very possible that this GM's home group or the people that always play with this GM prefer a very straightforward beat-em-up video game kind of RPG. I want to play this character and punch a bunch of bad guys. Great. Here's a game where you walk in, you punch a bunch of bad guys till they fall down, and then you walk into a building and see the next part of the story, and then punch a bunch more bad guys until they fall down, and then I tell you the next part of the story. More FMV instead of role-playing. So maybe this GM was doing that simply because the home group said, hey, this is what we want. Let's play. And the GM said, great. I don't have to do a bunch of crazy planning. I could just throw punching bags at them. There's nothing wrong with that. I I think a good beat-em-up game is fun, but consider, Michael, who you play with regularly and how you run regularly. You play for, with, and cater towards people that crave that story and the role play and thrive on off-the-cuff, player interaction, player-driven narration. So your habit has evolved to this is the norm. Right or wrong doesn't matter. This is the norm for my gaming group. Maybe this GM was playing to his norm or her norm for his or her gaming group and just brought that to the table. Maybe a better description should have been in the book, uh, in the in the introduction or or advertisement for the game maybe a little session zero intro should have happened at the game table either way i'm sure that this gm enjoyed running that game because i i bet it has been run times before and been super fun and successful for him yeah okay. and at the end of the day we did have fun with the adventure i i think out of everything you said what i would agree with most would be the setting expectations because i think that was what was so shocking was that just the, the the nose. No, you can't do that. No, that doesn't work. No, you can't do that. And just, I think if I had been primed to, you know, this is a pretty straightforward adventure. You're playing the comic book. Think of it in those terms, you know, pretty much if you see a bad guy, your job is to fight them until they're not a threat. And then you move on to the next story. I just think, yeah, I think the expectations of I'm playing a game where I can go crazy and the game will cater to that was different than what, the DM's expectation was is that I'm presenting an adventure. You guys will follow along and we'll all have fun at the end. Yes. I I think very few GMs are prepared to cope with the level of craziness that we have in our games. For fair or foul, I would agree with that. Right. So what else did you play? Anything else? Yeah, there's a couple games. And again, and I had fun. I, I I feel like I'm being negative Nancy here, but I had two games that were both fun, but they both suffered from pacing issues. Mm. And so that's another thing I wanted to talk about was pacing. Now with a home game, you have a lot more flexibility and and freedom because you can kind of stop whenever. And I, you know, I try in my games as, as often as I can to try to stop at a dramatically appropriate moment. 
right before or right after a big reveal, you know, right after or right before a big battle, maybe even in the middle of a battle if, like, one character is almost dead or gets taken out, something like that. But when you're playing in a one-shot, particularly in a one-shot at a convention where people have schedules and, like, you know, the game is supposed to end at four, they may have a game that starts at five, they have to get from place to place, pacing is a crucially important part of that game. And I had two different games that both did not do great when it came to pacing. Uh, one was a Call of Cthulhu game, which again, I don't play a lot of, but you know, I, I enjoy it when I play it, but it was a, a you know, it was a horror game and, and there was a lot of build and I, I give the, the DM a lot of credit. They did a great job of slowly building the dread that was growing in our situation. We were uh, at this abandoned, and that wasn't abandoned, but it was like a rundown weekend camp sort of situation and we were there i think we just graduated college or high school something like that we were all blown off steam and weird things kept happening call of cthulhu ish blah 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 but the problem was that because it was such a slow build we legitimately ran out of time and like the last 20 minutes of the game was the dm just narrating all the bad things that happens to our characters now Probably those bad things were going to happen anyways, because it's Call of Cthulhu. You're not really getting out of that situation alive. But right at the most dramatic points of the story, I lost complete control of my character. And the DM just start, just said, you run through the forest. This black darkness graciously reaches out from the trees and engulfs you. And you're unconscious. And they went to the other characters. And he kind of did the same thing. And, and then we're in like the post credit scene where we see what happens to our characters and it's all awful. And, and, you know, we're, we're in a fate worse than death. And it was so anticlimactic because the way it ended, like I didn't even get to roll and I probably would have failed that role because it's called Cthulhu, but I didn't get to roll to see if I could avoid the blackness reaching out from the forest. It was just, you're running through the forest and now you're dead, but you're not dead because dead's better than what I have planned for you. So it just felt like, if they had done a better job of pacing earlier and maybe maybe skipping around a little bit, maybe forcing the action a little bit, it would have allowed us to have a more satisfying ending because I felt the ending really undercut everything that happened before. I have seen problems with pacing happen in many games, not only convention games. So this is a lesson that anyone can take to heart. Pacing matters. If this is just a home game you are playing with your friends, something you're running at your local game shop, or maybe even something you are running for an AP on a podcast, the pacing matters because people that are listening get a different experience from the players. So the players might have a better taste of how you as a GM operate, and they may, they may be more comfortable with how events shake out. But think of your audience. Your audience is coming to the media like entertainment. And if that pacing gets weird, it kind of ruins the immersion in what you're experiencing. Even as a player, like you yourself said, Michael, you got to a point where the ending just happened to you. You, you lost control of your character, so we don't need to go on a tangent about losing agency, but you then lost that role-play experience. You were no longer in the world inhabiting your character. You were forced to step back and say, oh, okay, well, here's what happened after I was done with this. You lost that immersion. So 
proper pacing is very important. And the uh, the other example of that, it actually ties into a, to a yes and as well. The DM was great about yes anding and, and letting us go off on our own and sort of creating the fun. But then that caused us to be really slow and we were not getting through the adventure. And I think what that game suffered from, because the same thing happened. We actually went, we went almost half an hour over our allotted time. Because all of us were like, yeah, we're okay. We don't have to go anywhere. And then the end, we still had like a 20-minute, this is what happens, and everything got tied up neat, neatly in a bow for us. There were so – it was like a mystery. It was a very Sherlock Holmesian sort of mystery where, like, we thought we were at the end like twice. And then it turned out, no, these were just either red herrings or, or just a twist and to, to get us in the right direction. And then when we finally got to the end, it was like – it was kind of classic Moriarty sort of situation – we had not heard of this character before. We had not met this character before. So they were the bad guy behind pulling all the strings, but we had no emotional attachment to, because we had never met them before. And I think there were a couple, couple sections in the middle that could have been just removed completely. And the game still would have been okay. You know, we, we got clue a from scene a, and we got clue B from C from scene B. We could have combined that and got clues a and B from scene a skip scene B completely and still had a satisfying experience, which would have allowed us to have a better conclusion. The DM was great. The guy's name was Nestor, uh, did a voices. It was super good with all the voices, stood the whole time, had a lot of energy, was very engaging, but we just took so long to get to the end. The ending was then bad because of it. So it was like, that was like the best worst experience. Cause I had so much fun in that game. It was one of the most fun games I had. I played in, until we got to the ending, it was just like, you're over, the end. So this could have been an example where a solution was, as you guys were yes-anding into new scenes, the GM could have shifted the story plot points and incorporated them into these new scenes that you players developed. It seems to me from your description that the yes-anding became a tangent and then the GM felt the need to bring you back into the scenes that had been pre-established. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think that uh, I don't think that we ever created like brand new scenes. I think it was more that we just got to them differently than than was expected, and the, all the scenes played out the way they were. We got to the conclusion that was already planned, and we got what was set to be in that scene. So we had to go into every single scene to get all of the clues to get to the final. Uh, and because it was taking us longer to get into those scenes because we were, you know, going off our own little tangents, we just ran out of time. I just, I think we could have, like, I think we've said this before about how like modular having, having scenes or encounters that could be taken out without losing the whole. And we did not have that here. Every scene had to be there. Or we wouldn't get to the end and it just took too long. Okay. So what else did you do? So uh, the last thing that I'll mention, because uh, I did a bunch of stuff, is I got to play Secret Hitler. Uh, it's the new game. Well, it's new at this point, but it's by Max Temkin from Cards Against Humanity fame, as well as some other people who I don't know. And it's basically a social deduction game. Think of Werewolf, where one of the players is secretly a Hitler. Some of the players are secretly fascists, and some of the players are secretly liberals. And the idea is to pass liberal laws if you're a liberal or fascist laws if you are the fascist and i had a couple conversations on twitter and there were a couple of people that they have they have issues with the theme and the idea that you are 
quote unquote Hitler and that you're fascist and you're trying to pass fascist laws. I completely get that. I don't want to tell anybody how they should feel if, if that if that is distasteful to the point that you would not play it. No problem. Fair enough. Go forth and play the games you want to play. I I had a little bit of like uh, I'm not sure if I want to do this or not, but I, I wanted to play it. I wanted to experience it, so I tried it. It was a lot of fun. So theme aside, that game was a lot of fun, and it does better than what I think Werewolf has tried to do, where we were actually yelling at each other. We were all like pointing fingers, and we were all like you know suspicious and 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 you know like are you a liberal are you a fascist what's going on who's in charge why did this happen in a way that i have not experienced in werewolf in a while though to be fair i only played this once and when i first played werewolf it was probably similar but it seems like when i play werewolf now it's all very sort of like mechanical like are you a werewolf no are you a werewolf no are you a werewolf okay let's all vote like it it's it's lost that sort of energy at the table, the social aspect where we're all, you know, just accusing and, and recusing each other. And that game definitely had that to the point that I had a lot of fun playing that game, even though my side lost. I was a liberal and we unfortunately elected Hitler. So I will say right now to all listeners, I am terrible at this type of game. I am very bad at picking up on the cues of who is doing what secretly or not so secretly. When we play a game like Ultimate Werewolf, where everyone has a role and you can deduce who is lying by what role they did or didn't do, I always fail because I can never remember who's doing what and what order things are supposed to happen in. So I think a game like this may have been a little bit more appealing to me because it seems to be much more about just arguing and defending your point or rationalizing your actions instead of trying to remember the rules of the seer does this, the town's guard does that kind of thing. The core mechanic here is there's a president and there's a chancellor. The president elects the chancellor, and that's what you vote on. You all vote on whether or not you agree that this is a good president and a good chancellor. If that goes through, and you do agree, then the chancellor takes three laws, and the laws just say liberal fascist. They don't have any context, and they just say liberal fascist. Takes three laws from the top of the deck at random, removes one of them, and gives the other two to the president. The president then has to make one of them a law. So what happens is sometimes the president could be a liberal, and they're only given fascist laws, so they don't have any choice. They're both fascist. They have to pass a fascist law. The question becomes, did the chancellor remove the one they removed blindly? Was it a liberal policy? So that's why the, the president only had two choices. Or did they also only have three choices? Or did they have two liberal and a fascist, but the president still passed the fascist one because they're secretly a fascist? So the the social deduction comes from, well, what laws did you give them? How you know was one of, was it one of each? Uh, why did this president elect this chancellor? You know, do we want that group to be in there? Because last time you were a chancellor, we passed a fascist law. Was it because you were a fascist, or was it because you had no choice? And that's where a lot of the deduction comes in. And there's some some additional rules that are pretty interesting. That after the third fascist law is passed, you shoot someone. Like one one person gets shot, and if Hitler's ever shot, you win. 
But if you're shooting, like, like what happened in our game, we shot someone who was a liberal. Like, well, why did you pick that person? Like, what evidence did you have that that person was a liberal? So maybe the person who did the shooting was secretly a fascist. So uh, the other thing that's interesting, and I'll shut up after this, is that it, just like Werewolf, you know, you have the beginning of the game where everybody looks up. All the fascists look up and they see who each other is. Hitler just sticks out their thumb and lets you know they're Hitler. So all the fascists know who Hitler is. Hitler does not know who any of the fascists or liberals are. Interesting. This sounds like a game I would enjoy. Yeah, again, if the theme doesn't bother you or you can get past it, I really enjoyed the game. I think the way it, the way it works up and the way it, it encourages the social interaction was a lot of fun. And this is the type of game that you could simply change the skin of it if you were really truly offended by the concepts. You could just make it alien president and have different terms that right. kind of mean the same thing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone has the right to be offended. No one has the right to not be offended. So if there's something that bothers you, that's fine. Play something else. Play something else. Speaking of playing something else, what else did you play? Uh, well, quickly, I played in a demo of Epic Spell Wars, which uh, was on tabletop a while ago. It's a, it's a fun little silly game. It's got crazy art, and you put together spells of three different components, and they always spell out these really weird, funny, over-the-top, graphically vicious um spells and it's a lot of fun i actually end up buying the both versions of it i got the the new one and the expansion uh my boys my kids love the art that that's when i when i play tested it it was with the lady who was running it and then like the seven-year-old kid who was just there and his reactions to the cards cracked me up he's like oh this is so gross his head's getting ripped off and i just like that's my kid so sure enough i bought it and absolutely my kids love that game even though they John Gabriel can read well enough to play by himself. Jacob, I have to, actually have to tell him what the spells do, but they just love the art and the, the gross, you know, vileness of it that cracks them up. So from a, from a bad parenting, it's been a good game because the kids really enjoyed it. Yeah, I've played that game a couple times. It's kind of an old school Ren and Stimpy vibe. Yeah, 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 definitely. Like over the top, graphically gross for some reason. Yep, yep, yep. That's that's a good time waster as a card game. Anything else on the docket? Well, um, I'm actually going to turn the tables a little bit because on Sunday, I got to play with you and Tressa. So I'll turn the tables. So, Caleb, what did you do at Origins? So due to work scheduling and all my new responsibilities, I could not come down for the entire event like my original plan was. We only got to go down on Family Day, which was Sunday. Family Day was changed this year. This year you could actually buy tickets or ribbons or badges or whatever the heck they call it at Origins nowadays. Previously, you would buy a Family Day ticket and it would just get you into the exhibit hall and nothing else. Now they've upped the price and you can also buy generic tickets to get into games if there are any games happening on Sunday. I didn't do that. I just wanted to go to the exhibit hall and walk around and hang out for a little bit. So I paid more to do what I always do, which was a little frustrating, but whatever. So exhibit hall, walk around, see a bunch of stuff, play some games. The Really, the, the one game that I played that I really liked was called Clank. And we played this with uh, you and me and Tressa and the other Michael. So Clank is a cross between a board game and a deck builder. And deck builders are quickly becoming one of my favorite games to play. 
And in this game, what made it really interesting was that while you were building your deck, you were also moving your explorer around a map in a dungeon. So there was this secondary goal of exploring rooms and getting treasure and getting out with the most treasure before you wake up the dragon. So there was this really cool mechanic called Clank that certain cards would trigger that would potentially wake up the dragon. And if the dragon woke up, there'd be all kinds of consequences. And there was this also fun mechanic where some of the rooms had different requirements to get through them. So if you think about a typical deck builder, you're usually playing cards for attack value or just their raw value to buy more cards out of the central pile. There were some additional symbols that would react with things on the board. So as a great example, very simple, most of the time it would be one movement to go between rooms. So you'd have to at least play a pair of boots on one of your cards to move. Some of the spaces between these rooms had two pairs of boots. So you had to make sure you could play two pair of boot cards. Very easy. There were things like boots and monsters to fight, something being underwater, all kinds of fun stuff like that. It was very much a old-school, rompy, get-in-get-the-most-treasure-fight-the-goblins-get-out kind of dungeon crawl, but you got to have a deck builder on top of that. So that was really, really fun. Apparently it's super popular because it was totally sold out from the booth, and it was in back order online because I think you were going to buy it right there. Yeah, uh, what we played was actually the expansion. Oh, which was also sold out. They were also sold out of the base game. I, I did go on Amazon and buy the original game while we were at the table. Uh, I already have it sleeved. I have not yet played it. <laughs> but my kids, again, I don't think they're old enough to play it necessarily, but they are very interested in it. I was explaining like how it worked, and they're like, can we play the, the game with the dragon and the noise? So they're they're excited about trying it as well. So yes, I really enjoyed that game uh, to enough that I've already bought it, and I will probably buy the expansion as soon as I can. I would definitely play that game again. Then come to a catacomb. You can play it there. Hey, hey, maybe I'll come this year. That's a, that's a great reason. Yeah. So what else did we do at uh, Origins Sunday? Really? Sunday, the, Sunday, Sunday. The only other game that I played was something called Machi Koro. Uh, I was, uh, I, uh, I couldn't get into it. It was weird. It it was okay. I think that uh, the explanation was poor, so I think none of us knew what we were doing when we started. Uh, I think by the time we figured out what we were doing, it was kind of like we were so far in the game, it was a little bit too late for any of us to actually have a strategy that would work. But it was, yeah, it was okay. I, w- I would pay, like, if, if I could pick up that game for, like, 15 bucks, it's something I could play with the kids, because you basically just roll dice and compare numbers and colors. But, uh, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't too into that one. Yeah, concept-wise, it was interesting. Basically, you're building a town, and you're buying buildings or properties. And then on each turn, you roll a number of d6, and each property has a value at the top of it. And if you roll that value, something happens. You get more money, or you steal money, kind of thing. But you also had to pay attention simultaneously to everyone's turn, because some of your cards triggered based on other people's rolls. Right. So there's a lot going on. It's a very simple game in practice, but it's definitely something you have to know the strategy of. And in that quick playtest format, 
we didn't really get to learn the strategy very well. So it was just more frustrating. Visually, though, it was nice. Looked pretty. Um, it it kind of feels like one of those games that could be that firework game you obsess over so much. Hanabi. Yeah. It feels like it could be a game like that, sort of, but not really. Yeah, no, I, I'd say not really on that. Yeah. It, it's a game that I, I could totally see playing with my kids. Like that, That is a large part of what I think about now when I'm looking at games is, is this something I can play with my kids? Because those are the people I play the games with the most now. So I, you know, I, I, I didn't buy it. I haven't bought it yet. I don't know that I will buy it. But if someone else pulled it out and said, hey, do you want to play this game? I'd give it a play every now and then, but it's not something I need to own. Uh, quickly going back to Clank, there's actually an app you can buy. Or actually, it's, sorry, it's free that you can play it as a solo game. I haven't done that yet, but I probably will try that out here soon. Oh, that would be fun. I, I want to hear how that goes. Yeah. Uh, we didn't really play test any other games. Uh, at one point during lunch, we played some code words. Code names. Code names, whatever. I'm terrible at that game, so I forget yeah. what it's called. I don't do a lot of research on the show, guys. Yeah. Uh, actually, one of the things that I did before you got there on Sunday is Michael and I play tested the uh, called Codenames Duet, which is a two-person cooperative variant of Codenames. I went into that game not understanding how that would work. It did work. It worked very well. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it's also compatible with original code names, so it gives you like 200 extra word name cards that you can add into other code names. And basically, you're you both have a copy of the the chart. They're different, but the assassin is in the same place. And so I'm trying to get you to guess the name, the words on my side. You're trying to get me to guess the words on your side. We're both trying to avoid the assassin. And there's a there's a limited number of rounds. So each time you complete a, a round, you have to remove one of these tokens. If you don't get all of them before the end of that counter goes down, then the game is over. So if you like code names. It was a it was a fun if you know if you're a fan of that type of game and if you only have like maybe spouse or a loved one that you play games with it's just the two of you this is a version of code names that does work so I probably will be picking that one up cool cool yeah most of the day was just walking around hanging out seeing what was offered at the different stands it, it's always fun to see what people bring to Origins what vendors are there there's a lot of shops that are just collectible shops so you can buy individual cards of a TCG or CCG, all the dice vendors, all the people that make cosplay stuff and costumes and weapons. It's more fun just to walk around and hang out. So we walked around, did that, ate some lunch, played some games, and then we did a bunch of manual labor and carried a bunch of boxes to the van. Really heavy boxes. They were very heavy, and no one would really get out of our way. No. But yeah, so that was Origins 2017. I would call it a success. Uh, had fun uh, again even though I, I seemed a little bit negative towards some of those games i did have fun in all of them uh, i definitely would be going back next year cool very good and unless something changes at work i will probably be back on family day and probably <laughs> pay a higher price once again so uh next time you'll have a chance to see me will be at gen con uh I obviously we'll be going there the schedule is posted we're running four events the two DMing panels, the podcasting panel, and then our traditional Wednesday pre-Gen Con meetup. Uh, those tickets are available if anybody wants to take a look. The DMing panels are actually already sold out, but the other two still have uh, seats available. And then obviously after Gen Con, it's all downhill towards the Catacon. Uh, we've got some more vendors that have come on board. Still haven't sold as many actual player tickets as I was hoping, though. Based off of last year, come October, 
is when we should start seeing more of those filtering in. But uh, yeah, don't don't wait. Uh, go ahead and uh, buy, buy a ticket. Make me feel a little bit better about what's going on. And you can buy those at eventbrite.com. Search for the Catacon. We'll have a link on the site, in the show notes, on Twitter, in skywriting. Tattoos. In your dreams. Come come to a Catacon. Buy a ticket. <laughs> and I will continue to not be at Gen Con, so deal with it. Come to a Catacon. Absolutely. All right. So, Caleb, any uh, final words for this episode? Nope. All right. Well, that has been it for me. Hopefully you found something either educational, inspirational, or entertaining about this episode. Though I'm not holding my breath on any of those. Uh, but this has been Michael. And this is Caleb. And we will see you next time. Dun, dun, dun. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize, but we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash the RPG Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.